This morning we're continuing our sermon series on a picture is worth a thousand words and we're using different images, pieces of artwork to help illuminate the scripture that we read each week. And this morning our scripture comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. This is found on page 973 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before we read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible that God would ever prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Giving gifts is not a talent of mine. I like to give gifts, don't get me wrong, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, those sorts of things. But buying gifts, purchasing, sort of selecting gifts for people, you know, the thought that counts, I'm not very good at that. And so I usually like to just stick to the list when I am given a list of of gifts that people like. For instance, when I was growing up, my mother collected these little stuffed animals, these Boyd's Bears, they were called. And so I got her a Boyd's Bear every single time I had to buy her a gift, whether it was a a birthday or a holiday or anything. Finally, she had gotten 50 or 60 Boyd's Bears, and she says, I think I have plenty of Boyd's Bears. Thank you. Or for my father, every single time it's his birthday or Christmas, I always get him golf balls. He should have enough golf balls that he never needs another golf ball in his life. Although, come to think of it, he always needs more golf balls. I don't know why that is. But I always get him golf balls. That's my go-to gift for him. Or with Julianne, I always try to stick to the list. And those times where I don't have a list, I usually go with earrings. But she only has two ears, and so sometimes we get a few more earrings than she actually needs. 
Over the years, I have discovered that these kind of gifts can kind of get worn out from time to time, and my brother and I have finally come up with a pact that has helped us when we give gifts to each other. Used to, we would always just exchange gift cards every single holiday, every single birthday. He would get a gift card, I would give it back to him, basically. But finally, one day we decided instead of giving each other these tangible sort of keepsake type of gifts, why don't we give to each other experiences, opportunities, things like I'll give you tickets to a concert and you can come with me, or you give me tickets to a ball game and and you can come with me. And it will be an opportunity for us, an, an action more than a keepsake, but that action will be an opportunity for us to make a memory together. And I have to say, over the years, these types of gifts have been my favorite gifts that I've ever received. They're not just tangible sort of keepsakes, but they're more actions, more things that we do together. Not things we have, but things we do. Those seem to be the most valuable gifts that I have received in my life, because those are the things that I remember the most. I have to say that I think the same is true for the gifts that God gives to us. Many of the gifts that God gives to us are not only nouns, but they're also verbs. They're not only things that we have, but they're also things that we do. For example, the gift of love. We might think of love as a noun, something that we hold in our heart, something that we cherish, something that we have, but love is also a verb. Love is something that we're also called to do, to share with each other, to treat other people with love. The same thing with faith. Faith might be something you think of as something that you have, a belief that you have in your mind, but faith is also an action. Having faith, living by faith is something that we're called to do, to take those leaps of faith. And of course, the gift of hope, which is what we're going to talk about today. We think of hope as a noun, maybe something that we hold, or maybe better yet, that holds us, that holds us fast, that gives us strength, that keeps us going in times of trouble. But hope is also a verb. Hope is something that we're called to do day in and day out all through our our lives. I probably talk about hope more than anything else from this pulpit. We are called as Christians to hope. It's both a noun and a verb. And today in our passage, I think you can see both of those gifts, both the noun and the verb, in our passage from the book of Hebrews this morning. In some ways, this passage from Hebrews picks up right where we left off last week. You might remember last week we were in the book of Genesis where in chapter 15, Abraham heard this booming voice from the sky saying, Abraham, I will make you a a great nation from your name and you will have offspring as many as the stars in the heavens. And of course, as we know, you might remember from last week, Abraham questioned, he doubted, he wondered, he worried, he thought God was never going to keep that promise. And that's, of course, when God told him to go outside and count all those stars and remember the promise that God had made. Now, generations later, on the other end of the Bible, in in Hebrews, we see Abraham is held up. Held up not only as an example of faith, but as an example of hope. An example of hope because he remembered this promise of God and acted upon that promise. All those doubts, all those fears, all those worries, somehow that never got translated to the New Testament. We just remember the good stuff, how he acted on that hope that God had given him. This strong, stalwart anchor that holds us fast in the midst of the storm. 
But I think it's important for us to remember that hope, as Hebrews says, comes from an oath, an oath from God, a, a promise that God has made, and it comes from a very particular passage in Genesis. It doesn't come from chapter 12, where God first makes God's covenant with, with Abraham. It doesn't come from chapter 15 that we talked about last week. No, it comes from Genesis chapter 22. And if you remember, Genesis chapter 22 is when God asks Abraham to take Isaac up to the top of the hill and sacrifice his son. In a very difficult passage, a hard passage to understand, it's there that we hear about this oath from God, where God swears on God's own name. But like the, unlike the other passages where Abraham doubts and questions and worries and fears, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham takes all the supplies he needs, asks his son to follow him, and without asking a question, heads to the top of the mountain. And it's there in that incredible act of faith that God swears. God gives him that oath, and God says, I promise you, I will never, ever abandon you. I will never leave you alone. You will always be my child. And even when you break your promise, I will never, ever break mine. That's the oath that Hebrews is talking about. And that's the oath that gives us hope. That hope that God will never, ever break God's promise, no matter how many times we break our promises to God. That hope that holds us fast. That hope that gives us strength. That hope that maybe we hold in our hearts. And that hope that keeps us going when all hope seems lost. Maybe you know that kind of hope that I'm talking about, the hope that we get from the story of the empty tomb, the hope that we get from the story of the kingdom come. It's that hope that we hold in our hearts, or as I said, maybe better yet, the hope that holds on to us. Recently, I've been reading a, a book of speeches, a gathering of speeches by Winston Churchill. And you all might remember that Winston Churchill not only led our world through World War II, but he also wrote some amazing inspirational speeches, inspirational words, sometimes funny words as well, that inspire people all over the world. He said things that you might remember, like, we will fight them on the beaches, and we will fight them in the fields, and we will never, ever surrender. Or he said things like, we will never give up, never, 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 ever give up. But one of the little phrases that I've seen in all these little speeches that I have been reading, it's a lesser known phrase that he apparently uh, repeated over and over again. Sometimes people who speak in public repeat themselves over and over again. One of the little phrases that he repeated in many of his speeches was, we must grasp the larger hope. We must grasp the larger hope. He said it at times in his personal life when he was going through difficult things, and he said it when the world was going through difficult times as well. There was a time in one of his memoirs where he was talking about a fever that he had as a child, and at one point he thought he was not going to make it, but he in that moment said, I must grasp the larger hope, and that larger hope is what anchored him, sustained him, got him through. Or when war was right on the doorsteps of Britain, he said, we must grasp the larger hope and hope that war will avoid us. And even later, when war had come to Britain, he said, we must grasp the larger hope and hope that the United States will come and help us. 
We must grasp the larger hope. That larger hope is something bigger than you and I. It's that hope that comes from the promise of God, the promise of the kingdom come, the promise that God will keep the promise to us that God made to Abraham many years ago. That's the hope that keeps us praying when life is not going our way. That's that hope that keeps us anchored when the storms in our life seem to be blowing us to and fro. It's that hope that holds on to us and gives us strength the hope that we hold in our heart, and the hope that holds on to us. It's that belief in our minds, that faith in God. But as I said before, this gift of hope is more than just a belief. It is also an action. It is also a verb. It's something we are called to do, especially in times in our life when the hope seems bleakest when the world seems darkest, when it seems like we're being overwhelmed. That's what inspired our portrait this morning. This portrait is called Hope, believe it or not. It's written, or excuse me, it's painted by a man named George Friedrich Watts back in the 19th century. But you look at that painting and you don't see any sunrises, you don't see any flowers, you don't see any anchors, any of those symbols that we might have for, for hope. Instead, hope is represented by a woman who is sitting on the earth and she is tattered and torn, uh, has tattered and torn clothes and she has bruised feet and she's blindfolded and she's hurting and in despair. Maybe that's the way we see hope in our world today, a world that is lacking hope. We see the pain and the suffering of people around us when we see the fighting and the disagreements and the level of discourse we have in our world. Maybe it seems like hope is lost. Like I said, there's no anchor in this passage, in this picture that, that shows us that God is holding her fast. No, hope seems to be dwindling. And maybe that's because when George Friedrich Watts painted the painting, his hope was dwindling. George Friedrich Watts had a a difficult life. In the 1820s, when he was still a child, both of his brothers died from a disease in 1823. And then just three years later, his mother died as well. He grew up with a father who pushed him and tried to get him into art, and so he learned how to express himself through artwork. But he didn't like painting portraits. He liked painting concepts like this one. And it was later in his life, almost close to the end of his life, when his granddaughter, one year old, passed away, that he painted this picture, this picture of dwindling hope, of hope without an anchor. But there is one other symbol in this painting. It's not an anchor, but it's something else, something that she's holding on to. You may not be able to see it from where you're sitting, but it's a harp, a harp with one single string on it. And she is playing it and listening to it, that tiny little note playing it over and over and over again. In this dark and dreary world, she continues to play the harp. In spite of how, how soft that sound might seem, she keeps playing the sound. She keeps hope alive. That's what the symbol of hope is. In this painting, it's not an anchor, but it's an action. 
It's something that we do. It's an instrument that we play. It's a song that we sing when the world seems so dark and so grim. Back in the 1950s, Dr. Martin Luther King used this portrait in one of his sermons. It was a sermon called Shattered Dreams. He was talking to people in his church and black Americans everywhere who were struggling with their own shattered dreams that every time they tried to get up, every time they tried to build themselves up, they got knocked back down again. And he said, of course, well, we could just follow what people are telling us to do. We could give up and give in. We could just say, well, this must be God's will, and so we'll just follow the course. Or we could keep playing. We could keep trying. We could keep fighting. We could protest the darkness with our hope. And in that same sermon, he mentioned people who did exactly that. People like Helen Keller who was both blind and deaf, but became a wonderful teacher and a wonderful writer. People like Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote his famous books while he had tuberculosis. People like George Friedrich Handel, who was the namesake of George Friedrich Watts. George Friedrich Handel, who was paralyzed on one side of his body, who lost all of his money, who most of his property was taken by creditors, but it was then, in those moments when his life seemed most grim, that he wrote Handel's Messiah and the Alleluia chorus, which we sing at Christmas time. It was in the darkest times that he kept singing that he kept writing, that he kept hope alive. He kept playing that little harp that God had given to him. It was not just an anchor, but it was an action. An action to shine God's light out into a dark and dreary world to prove to the world that hope was not lost, no matter how dark and grim it might seem. But hope was still alive and always would be. And if you've watched the news over the past year, you've seen other examples of this. Just this past March, when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, I, of course, like you, was overwhelmed with all of the terrible images we saw on the screen of of bombed-out villages, bombed-out cities and villages, people who were losing their lives. It was terrible to see this kind of destruction on the television screen. But in late March, there was one powerful image, more powerful than all of those. It was a a cello player, a man named Dennis, who had decided that he was going to shine hope in the midst of this dark and dreary world. And so he went out into the middle of Kharkiv, a a city that had just been bombed out by Russian missiles, and he took his cello right out into the middle of the rubble, and he started to play. He played this beautiful song, a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach, and he filmed it and sent it around the world on the internet. And when people asked him why did he do that, he said, it's because I love my heroic city, which is now struggling to survive the war. I deeply believe that now we can help. I believe we can restore and rebuild our city and our country. So let's unite and revive our city together. No words of doubt. No words of revenge, no words of anger, just words of hope. Words of carrying on in the midst of that destruction. That's maybe the greatest gift that God gives us, not just hope that holds on to us, 
but hope that inspires us, hope that pushes us, hope that leads us to action, to protest the evil and the hatred and the darkness of the world. That's why when we look out in the world and we see things like droughts in California and and floods in India and people in, in Mississippi who don't have clean water, we hold on to hope. And we do the little things we can do like conserve water here because we believe the day will come when we will have clean water for all. Or when we see hatred and and prejudice of all kinds all around us, we don't give in, but we hold on to hope in spite of it seeming like an uphill battle. We hold on to hope. And we try to treat other people as children of God. Or when we see war-torn countries around us and we think those wars will never end, we hold on to hope. And we give blood and we give money and we open our cities and our towns and our homes to refugees because we hold on to hope that the kingdom will come. When we face hungry people, we feed them. When we face homelessness, we find them homes. When we face death, we point to life everlasting. Because that's the gift of hope. It's not just a noun, but it's a verb. It's not just something we have, but it's something we do. So I call on you to grasp that larger hope. Hold on to that hope that God has given you through our Lord Jesus Christ. That promise that God will always, always hold on to you and never let you go. Because no matter what we face, no matter what we face in this world, we always, always, always have hope. So let that be our song we sing. To the glory of God. Amen.